Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Douglas Lindemann. Douglas is the Chief Information Officer of ArcBest Technologies, the tech org within ArcBest, a $5.3 billion revenue company that provides intelligent logistics technology. Douglas has been in his role for about a year and a half. In a business that has technology at its core, Douglas and his team are catalysts for great innovation. I look forward to hearing more about it through this conversation. Douglas, welcome to Technovation. Yeah, thank you, Peter. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I am as well. Well, let's begin with your company, if you don't mind, Douglas. Uh, you're the Chief Information Officer of ArcBest Technologies. And why don't you take a moment for those who may be less familiar with it to provide a bit of background into the company itself? Sure. ArcBest is an integrated logistics company uh, that we, we leverage our, our technology and our full suite of solutions to meet our customer supply chain needs. Uh, this integrated approach, combined with our expertise, helps ensure that our customers have the right solution to get the job done. You know, no matter the size of the shipment or the type of the product they're shipping or the speed of delivery that they need. You know, I think about two or three years ago, a lot of people didn't didn't realize as much about what logistics companies do or what supply chain companies do. Uh, but obviously, with uh, the disruption we had with COVID, people realize how much supply chain impacts their lives and how much a disruption can impact their lives. So our company, we started in 1923. We're celebrating our 100th year this, this year which is very exciting. But we started out as a local Arkansas freight hauler. And today through organic growth and strategic acquisitions, we're now a publicly traded company, about 5 billion uh, in revenue with over 15,000 employees across 250 campuses and service centers. And then ArcBest Technologies, uh, which is part of the company that I work in, uh, it, it's our, our tech company that provides the innovative uh, solutions and leading edge technology and, and advanced analytics to help our shippers and our capacity providers uh, with our goal of making it easy for them to do business. That's a great overview. Thank you, Douglas. And uh, I wonder if you could take a moment and just describe your role as chief information officer within that business. Sure. So within within our business, we have a chief innovation officer who, Michael Lucidy, you've actually talked to Michael before, and he's been on some of your um, your podcasts and um, sessions, and uh, he's he's my my boss. And then I, as the chief information officer, my responsibilities are all around application development and application support, integrating third party applications, purchased applications, uh, and then we have a CTO that focuses on our more of our infrastructure and uh, back end systems. That's that's great. I, I wanted to actually go to the topic that you already raised in in introducing ArcBest uh, supply chain, and you correctly said it's a topic that was probably an esoteric one for many people for a long time. And if anything, COVID brought to 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 light uh, some of the complexities associated with it, as a lot of goods all of us kind of took for granted uh, were a lot harder to to get our hands on. And, and I wonder if you could talk a bit about the approach not only the company, but more specifically how you, you and your team have gotten involved in facilitating uh, some improvements associated with supply chain, especially during the trying times that, that COVID had it brought about uh, for so many. Obviously, with the disruption of, of COVID and, and people going remote, one of the first things was making sure that our employees were able to use the systems uh, well. And so that was a lot on our our CTO side of, of making sure our our VPN uh, infrastructure was in place to handle uh, thousands of employees connecting remotely when we were everyone was uh, was coming into the office previously. Uh, but then my team uh, with the applications that they support, making sure that that they're able to provide that information and 
adjust quickly as our customers' needs have changed. Um, you know, customers starting to interact with us in different ways, interacting more through digital channels, um, and we've we've pivoted and and really focused on that in the in the last several years. We were doing that pre-COVID, uh, but but you know, there's been a lot more focus on that as well. Very interesting, and and um, I know yours is an organization, as you've you've made me aware, certainly that's grown a lot through acquisition. In fact, you joined the company through an acquisition as well. And I wonder what learnings you've had from a leadership and a technology perspective, um, having gone through one yourself as your means of entry to the company, but also now being party to them with other companies that yours has has acquired along the way. What, what are some insights you've drawn from that? Yeah, so just a little bit of, of background to, to get into that. I, I started with the company, as you said, through acquisition. So between the two companies, I've been uh, 19 years in the industry. Um, and so we were a small company under a sole proprietor that I've learned a, a ton from, and we can talk some about leadership in, in a few minutes with, with what I've learned from him, but going from that to, uh, being part of the large publicly traded company, and I was leading it in that small company, but also leading some other, um, yield management and, uh, analytics. So I had a, a little bit broader than just it. Um, and then being acquired by a company and going through that transition and understanding the me issues that I went through and, and everyone else on on the team that went through and realizing, wow, you there is a, a big people component uh, when you're dealing with acquisitions that a lot of people that haven't gone through acquisitions or companies that don't do it a lot, they they gloss over that. And so since then, I've been a part of, on the other side, uh, um, acquiring other companies. And so I, I definitely have a view of making sure that when I'm going and talking to the the IT people at the company or even the users um, and we we're learning from each other that I I remind them that I came through acquisition I remind them that a lot of the the company that that I had worked for previously that was acquired how we were able to influence the the larger company in a positive way and that there's opportunity for the company the new company that we're acquiring to do the same we're not going in heavy-handed and saying, no, you have to do it this way. We we want to make sure we don't disrupt the reason that we bought them. They're still going to have those those me issues, the concerns of, well, what does this mean for my job? And you have to work through those things. But being open and transparent and listening, doing doing a lot of listening in the early stages. Uh, so we had an acquisition going on two years now was our last one that we did. And we really spent a lot of time listening to both parties um, before we really started integration work. And it took about a year to get fully integrated, uh, but that was the, the timeline was, it was appropriate. And um, had we rushed into it sooner, um, I think it would have been more disruptive. I really like that empathetic approach and, and recognizing that you were once in their their shoes and, and uh, sharing that very insight while also uh, drawing from your own experiences about what works well or maybe what doesn't to color uh, the experiences going forward. Really interesting insights, and especially for a technology leader to be underscoring the people concepts of this, not necessarily the first uh, first thing that comes to mind, I know, for some technology leaders anyway, so kudos to you. Um, I, I know also from our past conversations, Douglas, that um, earlier this year, you launched a new business model. And you mentioned, of course, in your description of your responsibilities, application development is among those. 
And I, I know that um, you know yours is a company like many companies, certainly one that's 100 years old that will have a lot of legacy uh, almost by definition. And I wonder how launching a new business model lent itself perhaps to thinking about rethinking uh, the, some ways of doing things and how you're thinking about the two sides of the of the model as a result of that. Yeah, that's right. So going back to uh, the description of, of being a logistics company um, and a supply chain company, if you think about end-to-end -end supply chain from what our customers do when they have goods that are that start out in a, uh, a supplier's warehouse and they need to bring those goods to their manufacturing plant to to build something. And then they, they take that to a, a distribution center and then ultimately to their end customer, whether that's a, a dealer or a, a retail chain or wherever. We, we hit in those moving things across a map from point A to point B. That's where our focus is in supply chain. We do help with other things like warehousing as well. But this new technology, Vox, that we recently released earlier this year, it gets with inside a warehouse and, and helps optimize moves inside, or we call it intra-logistics inside the warehouse. Um, and so it is a new business model for us. As you said, we being a hundred year old company, a lot of legacy applications, a lot of mainframe applications that were written 30 years ago that still work very well for us, but was not, would not work for this new business model. And so we've, we've been able to stand that up uh, in a more uh, modern way with cloud-based and, and modern technology stack. And my team, the application developers that have to support that, uh, you know, we've we've had that challenge of, okay, where do we where do we place people? We have 200 plus developers on our staff. And so we have some that are very comfortable working in more legacy applications. And we have some that are more uh, comfortable working in, in newer technology. So that helps because we can we can place people accordingly, but we also, one of our corporate values is growth. And we, we remind people that you, you should stretch. If you're focused on legacy, you should try to support some of the newer technologies. If you're supporting some of the newer technologies, you may at times be asked to support and maintain some of the, the older stack as well. And so, you know, we definitely are, are working to modernize, uh, but we make sure that the business need is there. We're not modernizing just for the sake of modernizing. We, we don't necessarily say, well, we have to be off the mainframe in, in five or 10 years. We say, well, when it, it makes sense to move things to the cloud, we, we take that approach. Um, so it has been interesting standing up the new business model and supporting that, but I feel like we've navigated that very well. So I have associate director that leads that development team, uh, and he works very closely with our, our functional counterpart, um, the, what some people call the business uh, Michael is, is very big and I agree with him. We, we don't like to say the business side because it is part of the business. So we, we say that the functional team, we use that word a lot. My associate director there works very closely with the functional team to make sure that the software that we're building meets our customers' needs. I wonder, given the conversation we had a moment ago about the acquisitive nature of ArcBest uh, and the care you've taken even before an integration happens of planning it out, of of understanding the the uh, you know strengths and weaknesses perhaps of each organization and planning accordingly. Has that been useful as you've thought about this new business model? Obviously not an acquisition, and therefore it's not as though you had an influx of a lot of new people. So perhaps some of the people components aren't, aren't as relevant in this case. But nevertheless, you're thinking about a 
different organization, if you will, the needs they have different from uh, the needs of your organization, you know, bifurcating perhaps uh, those sort of more modern ways of doing things with uh, some of the legacy practices that are that will be sustained, as you point out, at least for a period. Is there an overlap in some of the insights of of past integrations uh, and acquisitions to to thinking about the two sides of this business as well? Yeah, I think it's I think just as you said, being thoughtful about about what we're going to build, um, and we're very comfortable building software, but we're also comfortable uh, buying software and, and integrating. Uh, but much of what we do on the operational side, um, there's just not the software out there that really fits our needs. So we do build a lot of our operational software, just like when we're going to acquire a company, being very thoughtful about what would those integrations look like, what technology stack. Um, if there's two transportation management system is a big term in, in logistics, TMS. And so as we acquire a company and they have a TMS, we, we go through the evaluation of, do we, do we integrate them in with our TMS? Do we adopt their TMS? Um, as we're building out this, uh, the needs for, for Vox, this new company we're standing up, we, we think about that as well. It's like, okay, let's survey the, the technology landscape and make sure there's not software that, we could go purchase uh, and, and integrate, or if we're going to build something, then we get into the idea of how much do we want to um, spend because it's a, it's, it's a startup, right? So we're, we're developing along the way and we can't wait five years or, or three years even to, to build the perfect software and then go deploy it. We have to build it and so take a very agile approach to it. And so our company has gone through an agile transformation that's helped us with um, integrations, acquisitions, but it's also helped with this, this startup uh, company as well, or the startup business model, uh, because we've been able to get software out there quickly, learn from it, show it to our customers, uh, put it in a pilot, go back and adjust it. Uh, now, we do incur technical debt when we do that, but we also understand uh, as we have it architected, that that's going to happen. And we, you know, we could forego the, you never forego the technical debt completely, but you could spend a lot more time trying to minimize that and, and delay the, um, the implementation. And that's, so there, there's that, that balance that we evaluate. Very interesting. And, and I know that yours is an organization that has begun, uh, uh, investigating and leveraging generative artificial intelligence, still early days for anyone <laughs> really in using it. But I wonder um, what sorts of conclusions you've drawn as you and the team have explored some of the possibilities. Yeah. So just as every company is evaluating generative AI and um, open AI and, and the other, the other ones that are out there, large language models, uh, we're, we're looking to see, how can it improve our developer experience? How can it make our developers more productive? Uh, we don't see it as um, replacing our developers, uh, but how how they how it can help them be more efficient. But we're also looking at um, how our our end users can can use the technology. How the software that we write could leverage the large language models and generative AI to to produce better information or help augment decisions that that are frontline users have to use. Um, as we look at purchase software, we we know that we're going to see more and more of the generative AI piece, just like 10 years ago, you started hearing every product you go look at has an AI component. 
some of them were was very little machine learning or, or AI that they had. But um, um, so we, we know that that's going to happen. But then also really understanding how disruptive it will be to our industry um, and and keeping an eye on that. So we we're we're taking an approach to look across the board. We're not telling people you cannot use this. Uh, we are exploring our own our own um, we're not building a large language model obviously but we are you know working with uh with microsoft on on open ai and um how we can use that uh, in a more protected way to keep our data secure so the, the data security is a big concern that we have right now with with uh chat gpt and so that's that's something we we watch for Thank you for, for sharing some perspectives there. As a uh, logistics and supply chain centric organization, the implications on environmental social governance, uh, ESG uh, yes. implications to, to your business model and means of, of tweaking it uh, in the right direction, so to say, relative to those topics um, are, 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 I think, f fairly easy to understand. But I, I wanted to ask you, what sorts of approaches you've been thinking about and, and potentially some of the tech or digital implications uh, to, to help facilitate some of the positive momentum there? Yeah, so we've been on an interesting journey with our with ESG. Um, it really started for us, really it started for us back in, in the 70s uh, before ESG was ever even thought about, uh, but but more more recent with uh, with ESG, we, we, uh, we started putting out our ESG report Again, we're a publicly traded company, so we we started putting that material out there in 2019. Was our first ESG report, and and it's advanced obviously through the years. Um, we we've started reporting on our our scope one and scope two emissions, and what that means is um, for those that aren't aren't aware of that, scope one are are the uh, the greenhouse gas emissions that that you produce daily in your in your business activity. So for us in in logistics companies, these are the trucks we have driving up and down the road, the emissions that they have, that's scope one. Scope two would be the the energy that you buy. So like energy for your offices, those are the things that are fall into scope two. And then scope three would be if you outsource uh, transportation. So like many times, what is scope one for us is scope three emissions for our customers. And so we're working towards um, reporting on our, our scope th three emissions, but we feel like we're further along than other companies. In fact, we uh, we submitted our, our results to uh, Ecovadis, a company that that monitors this. And that uh, when we submitted our results to them, they they put us in the top 50% of companies across the world. Uh, this was back in 2020 timeframe uh, when we submitted that. And, and we we uh, got one of their, their bronze uh, medal uh, for for where we are on our on our ESG roadmap. But if you look at our roadmap that's that's published out there on our website, uh, it does have technology and innovation uh, in the in the center of the roadmap. And so back to what I mentioned back in the 70s, we put uh, speed limiters on our trucks and we put uh, the the trailer skirts on to help with fuel efficiency. Um, and then more recently, we um, we put uh, governing uh, throttle controls or, or uh, speed limiters on on the tractors. And so those things have helped us, you know, it, it reduces uh, fuel consumption, but it also is, is good for the, the company's bottom line as well. And then more recently where, where IT has, has gotten involved in that more is we've done things with uh, dynamic pricing. So if we have an empty a trailer that might uh, move 
only partially full, we can do some uh, discounted pricing model or dynamic pricing to make sure we're able to fill that trailer up so we're not having a trailer move with empty space in it. And so you know that that obviously helps with with fuel consumption as well. Great examples all. And interesting to hear more about the kind of history of thought put to this uh, dating back uh, 50 years. Uh, really interesting indeed. Uh, we talked a bit about a number of, of trends, uh, generative AI, especially a moment ago, as well as uh, uh, trends associated with ESG. Are there other trends that particularly excite you, Douglas, as you look to the future that you might underscore? Yeah, so we're we're also experimenting or, or we have a team researching quantum. And so... Um, what we've learned from quantum is uh, uh, the quantum inspired optimization QIO. And so where this is where we're able to use some some learnings from quantum running on classical computers and and make more efficient algorithms uh, that can respond and provide uh, responses in a quicker time. And so we we've actually been able to take some of the QIO learnings and and implement those uh, to provide, you know, uh, better, quicker model responses uh, with some of our AI. Another area that we're focused on in the industry, digital twins is a, a big uh, talking point right now and a big focus. And, and we're looking at that as well. And you think for those of you that may not think too much about digital twins in our industry, in the supply chain industry, you can think about shipments. So if we want to model what it would look like if, uh, if we made this tweak to our, our uh, network, you know, we have somewhat of a hub and spoke model on our on our asset based business. If we were to um, make changes to that network, how would it impact um, how our shipments move? And so you would have the digital twin, twins give you the ability of doing those simulations or that what if analysis. So digital twins of our shipments, digital twins of our equipment, our tractors or our trailers that are running up and down the roads, digital twins of our customers as well um, to, to be able to do those simulations and and what if analysis. So we're we're heavily involved working closely with our functional counterparts on uh, creating these digital twins. And then I think another another area that's interesting as well is around um, telematics and IOT devices uh, that we have. So um, five or six years ago, the, the government had put in place um, a requirement to move to electronic logging devices, ELDs, for our drivers. Well, you know, that was a something that uh, change management, we had to go through that. But some of the value that we get out of the ELDs is we're getting ping locations now of where that where that truck is moving uh, real time. And so we we are able to ingest that information and provide that back to our customers to say, well, here's where the truck is and, and your shipment is on this truck. So here's where your shipment is located. Then we use advanced analytics, predictive models to estimate ETA based on a whole host of information we can provide better, more accurate ETAs to our customer on when their stuff is going to arrive. And as you can imagine, we we hear about the Amazon effect because when Amazon started uh, doing two-day shipping and they started providing visibility to customers of where their goods are, well, that that flows throughout, and and customers, uh, business customers expect that same level of visibility as well. So, visibility. Um, uh, of shipments and of, of where their goods are located is um, a hot topic in the industry as well. Very interesting. Yeah, good, good, good overview of a variety of things that clearly you're thinking about uh, also. I wanted to all, uh, conclude, Douglas, by asking you, uh, you know, you've been in your current role for a little bit more than a year, uh, about a year and a quarter now. 
And uh, you've been, as you point out multiple times over, the head of technology for uh, for, for companies smaller and smaller and larger. Uh, and and I wonder as you as you contemplate your rise to executive roles, what were some of the difference makers along the way for you that made that possible? Yeah, this is interesting. Um, I went. I recently went to a Harvard Business School class on uh, executive leadership, and one of the things they talked about is that take some time to look at at the timeline of your life and the things that impacted you both positively and negatively, because that helps helps realize some of that self reflection can help you realize that the type of leader you are and and what you want to continue to do. So uh, that that self reflection for me has been interesting of even going back to, to my childhood uh, days. Um, so I think, for example, one of the things that has helped me is I, I grew up uh, working for my dad on, on drilling rigs and then later on working, working cattle and working with horses. Um, and, and so uh, situational awareness, you, you hear about IQ and, and EQ now, right, and, and emotional intelligence, but there's also contextual intelligence understanding what's going on in the world, the context of, of what's going on. And that it's interesting because I think working, working it with, with cattle, especially you start to monitor the situation and, and anticipate what's going to happen and, and be able to re- react quickly because you, you can see what's about to happen. And I think that that's what I would say has helped me surveying the landscape of what's going on understanding context of what's going on and being able to adapt quickly. Um, so I, I think that's one thing. I, I tend to be a quiet person in, in meetings and, and really absorb what people are saying. But I've also learned that there are times because of, of the contextual intelligence and, and just the, the background I have that I, I have a different perspective. So I've learned to, to speak up as well. I do listen a lot, but I also speak up as well. It, it's interesting today. Uh, we had two people in our company that that uh, are celebrating their retirement today. One was 27 years and one was 30 years. And we have many, many retirements in our company that are that are 25 plus years. And uh, both of them today mentioned our one of our values is, is growth. And uh, they both they both mentioned that of reminding people to never stop growing. And that's a, a very important value uh, to me as well. It was also a value of the company I worked for previously. And so never stop learning uh no matter what what position you can get into you you can learn from anyone you you learn from from your peers you learn from people that report to you um, just just don't have the mindset of uh, okay well i'm i'm an executive now I'm, i have all the answers um be willing to hear hear from everyone and 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 be open um and then i think finally uh be proactive in your in your development uh, seek out mentors uh, I know I've had several mentors through my years that have had a, a tremendous impact on my life. Um, also seek feedback from people. Um, we we tend to, uh, we we want feedback. We want the both positive and negative feedback. Uh, but a lot of times people, you know, they may not go out and, and seek that and ask that. They, they wait for performance review time to get that feedback. I, I think it's important to be proactive. And, and um, after you have a, a session um, after you do a podcast and and it gets published and you ask somebody, hey, wh- what do you think? What could I have done done better on that? Seek seek that feedback. Uh, I think is important. And then finally, just along with that, being proactive, surrounding yourself with with the people that can make you a better person. 
great advice around the all all the way around, uh, Douglas. I really appreciate your your reflections there as well, and appreciate a great conversation across the board. It's been fascinating to learn more about your role as, as CIO at ArcBest Technologies and hear more about what you've been up to across the, your multiple decades with the organization, but also more specifically uh, in recent times and also what you're projecting forward as well. It seems like an exciting time to be in the role that you have, and uh, I'm grateful you took a little time to, to share a bit uh, about the insights that you have from that experience. Thank you so much, Douglas. Yeah, great. It was great to talk to you, Peter. I really enjoyed it.